Hello, everyone. I guess it might be springtime in some of、uh, your places, but I think we're getting a snowstorm tomorrow. Anyway, enough of weather. I'm really happy to be speaking today with Combat Midwife. Hello. Hello, Ripa. It's so nice to meet you. Thank you for having me on your show. I'm really looking forward to talking with you. I'm. I've been meeting people that I feel like.、Uh, I don't know. We we need to have a big party somewhere after COVID and like rent a huge continent and just meet each other in person because I'm I'm meeting such fascinating people. That's so, lovely. It's one of the re- real awesome positives about social media is that we can actually start to create our own tribe. And I don't know about you, but finding finding a tribe is sometimes very difficult to do. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely, and especially these days, where people are seeming to,、um, you know, make their little boxes and never going out and never inviting anyone in. Right, for sure. Well, we don't want to do that, so I'm so glad that you invited me. And <laughs> let's add—I want to add you to my tribe. So let's do this. Wonderful. <laughs> so, would you mind just introducing yourself to our listeners、um, yeah, in any、no. way that you want? Yes.、Yeah, so, hello, everyone. My name is Jessica. I'm known as the Combat Midwife on Instagram. That's the platform I spend the most time on, and I am both a midwife and a paramedic. So, I'm a blending of two really beautiful modalities of caring for patients in all sorts of atmospheres. And what I do is I help the military in the United States. And I train a lot of paramilitary and military organizations. I have for a really, really, really long time in many different capacities. But my specialty being gynecology, obstetrics, neonatal, and pediatric patients. So the patients that those in an austere environment never really like taking care of. So, how do you feel like your、um, background as a midwife informs your work as an EMS trainer, and and the other way around as well? Oh, that's a beautiful question. So, you're wanting to know what is it about midwifery, the, mo- the modality and the the model of care in midwifery, and how does it actually complement being a paramedic?、Uh, in a lot of in a lot of different ways, I feel that it helps me look. Forward it, for their care,、um, and I also think that it helps me.、Uh, the paramedicine side of my brain helps me think in、um, a more critical care aspect. So I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of jumping between two modalities. A lot of times, my my students will ask me, "Well." Miss Jessica, are you are you wearing your paramedic hat right now or your midwife hat? And I'm wearing both all of the time because I really feel like a lot of it is intertwined. Even if I'm taking care of a male patient in the middle of a trauma, being able to communicate and meet somebody's needs emotionally and you know、um, cater to their emotional and psychological well being, which is a lot of what midwifery is. I think way more so than actually the medical stuff, right? Is education and meeting someone's emotional needs and psychological needs is is kind of the foundation of what midwifery is, and so I can pull from that, and、uh, they kind of overlap really, really well. I at least I think so. 
Absolutely. I, that really, really resonates with me um, as a mid, as a former CPM and, and then, um, you know, working a lot in, well, recently, unfortunately, with, you know, the passing of both my parents. And I know that those, those qualities that a midwife has are not just about moms having babies. They really are. And, and I'm so sorry for your loss. That's absolutely devastating. And I, I'm, I'm sending you an air hug right now. Um, yeah, that, that's, um, yeah, that's really, I think it's really important. I don't care who you're taking care of or what type of medical care you're providing to anyone. Um, being able to look at someone and say, I am so sorry that we're meeting this way. You know, I'm so sorry that you're going through this right now. I can't imagine what you're feeling. I'm sorry that you're going through this and I'd really love to help you. I know we just met, but could you trust me? Could you trust me to try to help you today? I, I, that's validation. That's acknowledging the elephant in the room. That's, that's talking to someone in a way that isn't manipulative or controlling in any way, shape or form, right? It's acknowledging the fact that you have feelings, that you're scared about what's going on, that it's an uncomfortable situation to be in, that today isn't a very fun day. And while that isn't necessarily always applicable in, in the midwifery role or babies being born, it's very real in EMS, right? I, I see people on some of the worst days of their lives ever, and I have the ability to either cultivate an environment that is habitable for grief, whatever that grief looks like, or I can stunt them by the words that I have chosen to use uh, or information I've, I've refused or, or been unable or incapable and, and lacked in some sort of way to be able to give them. And I don't, I can't speak to other countries or what other countries do, but I think the American culture is very lacking in the ability to meet someone's needs in grief. Um, and it's proven very, very readily in, in our suicide rates and our suicidal ideations and our addiction to pharmaceuticals and uh, illicit drugs and et cetera. I mean, we, can, we don't have to talk about all of that, obviously, but we, we see that grief is not being necessarily addressed in, in a way that is something that we could talk about very easily, right? I mean, even think about, think about when children are young and how we blow off the death of a goldfish, right? Or the death of a pet or a grandparent, and we kind of toss it aside, like, well, they're too young and they don't really understand what's going on. And they don't, you know, they won't remember grandma later. Um, and I think that that stunts people and sets people up for not being able to properly have go through emotions later on in their life. So I think personally that it, it, midwifery and EMS very much overlap very nicely. I love your words. They're, they're so powerful. Well, thank you. Thank you. I, I truly think that words are very powerful and they have such a, a way to either be constructive or deconstructive and that the way we choose to speak to people and the way we choose to interact with people um, can either, like I said, cultivate 
good environments, like death and grief is always awful. It's, it's always going to be awful, but there are ways to make it less awful. And there are ways to make it easier to navigate. And there are ways to honor individuals' lifespans, however short or however long, right, that they are here with us, whether prior to birth or after, right, because we deal with miscarriages in the obstetric world, we deal with um, babies that die, and, and it's, there's a way to honor those lives, and there's a way to be there for the living, in a way that's positive and that doesn't stunt stunt people's abilities to grieve properly. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to tell you a little story in preface to my next question. So my story is I, I run a cafe called Cafe della Pace. It's, a, it, it's Italian for peace cafe. Oh, that's lovely. And so I had this uh, young woman coming in quite frequently. And then one, one day she came in with her mother and her mother and I started chatting and um, uh, it turned out she lived in the same city as my son. So she said, Oh, what does he do there? I probably know him. So I said, Oh, he's in the Canadian armed forces and her face fell. And she said, but, but you run the peace cafe. She couldn't understand how I could um, run the Peace Cafe and work with women's health and be a a loving, kind, kind of earth mother type and also have a son in the Canadian Armed Forces. So my question is, Mm -hmm. how do you deal with the paradox of being the combat midwife? (laughs) Oh, my gosh, you're the first person to ever ask me this question that I have been dreading. (laughs) well you know what you it seems to me like you live in the same kinds of paradoxes that I do so I I I I'm interested what's what's your answer how do you Mm. how do you explain to people that life is a paradox oh oh god um well if I get emotional and cry um please forgive me because I'm a very emotional person and I happen to be an empath. So things hit me differently than they might hit other people. Um, So uh, this is a very multifaceted question that I could probably turn into a lecture of some point, which I won't do for you or your precious listeners. (laughs) But the politics of my home country do not reflect my ability to love on people. So while I may not necessarily agree with the politics that reflect um, the country that I call home, pardon me, I speak for a living. So sometimes I get really froggy throat and I apologize. So the, that, that is something I too truly struggle with. Like, Okay, so I teach all of these military individuals how to prepare for deployment or how to, um, you know, get ready for a mission or a a host of other things. How does that directly reflect on me uh, morality wise and ethic ethically? I do think about that often. 
um, what what has helped me sleep at night over the years, because this these are things that do bother my soul from time to time, is the fact that what I am helping these individuals do is one, come home in one piece, and two, a lot of what the units I'm working with are doing are humanitarian missions and helping those that have been absolutely devastated by other maybe not so kind military operations that again, I have absolutely no control over, right? In the big scheme of things, I have control over two things. My reactions to one's, to someone else's reactions, right? And my my own actions. I can only control those two things in life. I have zero control over absolutely anything else in this world. So my reaction to government institutions making decisions way above my, my pay grade is that I can help facilitate individuals put tangible items uh, both knowledge-based and, and physical tangible items into their metaphoric toolbox to help others. Uh, I am just one domino in, in a host of other dominoes. And I can choose to either be a positive ripple or a negative one. Well, I think you're very brave. <laughs> Thank you. That's, that's, super, that's very kind of you. Thank you. I'm taken back. So, and you didn't cry. I didn't, which is very odd. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think this is a really important question to look at. And I think that one rec when you recognize, when we recognize that we're all drops in, an o in a bigger ocean, I think mm -hmm. that's, that's a really important thing. Right. Yeah, I do. I, I truly agree. I mean, I'm in large conference halls where I, where I speak to large groups of medical providers or I am in, you know, I'm in situations where maybe I'm talking to a group of nurses and obstetricians. And while I do not support or believe in that medical modality of care for, for birth, I have an opportunity to speak to one individual in that room who's going to see things a different way and completely change the way they construct birth, which then in turn affects moms, babies, bonding, breastfeeding, medical procedure choices. I mean, it, there's a there's a host of other reactions to, to my initial reaction. Absolutely. So um, just moving back just to the, to the practical. So what situations would an emergency medic find themselves in where they would witness a pregnant or birthing mother who needs their attention. So what I'm saying is more what kinds of um, conditions could they could they witness and and how can what you teach them help them to avoid trauma for the mom? Yes. Yeah, so um, you know, in the United States, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna quote statistics from the United States. I I cannot speak globally. My brain is not that large to hold that many statistics, but for, uh, statistically speaking, 8% of pregnancies will endure a traumatic event of some kind, whether that's a car accident, a fall, uh, domestic violence. I mean, we can fill in the gaps there. We're, we're all adults here. So 
of those 8% of pregnancies, there's a very high percentage, depending on what uh, document you read, so what research article you read, somewhere between 50 to 70% of those will actually res could, could have high potential to result in miscarriage. <clears throat> so uh, another, another significant amount of those will actually deliver while at the hospital for a trauma. So not really great outcomes. And this could be everything from being in a car accident and, and not even wearing your seatbelt correctly. A lot of pregnant women will wear their seatbelt incorrectly. Instead of having the lap belt on the lap, they have it up and over their pregnant belly, which yeah, pre I mean, and it's, it's, it's lack of education. It's not a mama problem. It's a lack of education problem. That is, that is just looking at us at us at a problem, finding a solution and going, the dying belt doesn't fit me. I'll just fling it over the belly. I mean, exactly. That's what I did with all five of my pregnancies. Right, and that's not, that's, you didn't do anything wrong, right? Someone just didn't take a moment to sit with you and say, Hey, I know your belly's getting a little bit bigger and it's probably very uncomfortable in the, in the car, but I wanted to just inform you that I would prefer for you to be a little uncomfortable rather than put yourself at risk of splenic rupture or mm -hmm. a liver laceration, right? Someone just didn't tell you. So you don't know what you don't know. And that's, that's not, that's not a mama problem. It's just an educator problem. So, you know, but moms don't know that. And then moms get into car accidents or uh, little silly things like mom, stop wearing socks in the house. Make sure you have, uh, you know, rubber soled shoes on or put slippers on that have rubber soles on them or something that's going to keep you from slipping and sliding. Like things just happen. So it could be that, or it could be a comorbidity that maybe moms have prior to being pregnant. Like, you know, 12% of Americans have asthma like 12% of the total population, 10% of pediatric patients have asthma. That's astronomically high. That's an exuberantly large amount of numerical people, but that's crazy. So, you know, those people get pregnant, right? <laughs> Even if we just said 6% were female, there's a, there's a, that's a significant amount of individuals that could be of childbearing years and be pregnant and have asthma. I mean, that re that causes breathing problems and hypoxic event and preterm labor and vaginal bleeding and those put moms at risk for all sorts of things. So uh, while I do truly believe that birth is just a, or pregnancy in general is a normal physiological process during a woman's time frame of being in childbearing years, uh, there are certain situations that do pose medical obstacles. I, I like to call them obstacles and not problems or complications. They're just variances in normal. So uh, for, for us, you know, as emergency providers, you know, running around in ambulances going crazy fast with lights and sirens. We have a plethora of different situations we could find moms in. And I always love it because there's always a class. There's always one person in class that's like, sheesh, why do I need to know this stuff? And I'm like, because the likelihood of you seeing a mom in some sort of predicament is high. Is the likelihood of us delivering a baby during my entire career? Probably not very high or significantly low would probably be a better way of saying that. I'm probably not going to deliver a ton of babies as a paramedic in the back of an ambulance, but I definitely could take care of a mom who has asthma or has a uh, type one diabetes or a hypertensive issue during pregnancy. You know, those things I could totally run into. I remember a time when I was um, uh, I was working as a doula for someone, and she was having her second baby after a, a 
the first baby was born by cesarean. Mm-hmm. I got to her house and she was in the tub and um, and pushing. And I said, I gave her, I said, look, uh, either you want to have the baby in the tub here and that would be fine, or you can um, follow your plan and go to the hospital. And that means we have to call an ambulance because I don't want to put you in my car. Correct. So they decided they were going to call an ambulance and the poor paramedics. So in, in Montreal, it was an ambulance, but also the, uh, some police came for some reason. So I had these four people, right? Two paramedics and two police women, all women, young women, and they were terrified. And so I I think it's so important, the work that you're doing so that you can teach these these people to not be terrified about birth, but also not wear their big clunky boots all over the towel that the mum's lying on. Um, Just a side note. (laughs) But I think that that fear is so palpable in those situations and so easily, like you just have to teach them exactly what you're teaching them, you know? Right. So I start off all my lectures with, Um, My goal today is to take the fear away and the mystery away from birth. It's not mysterious. It's not foreign. And it's not actually scary. Um, Humans have been on the planet for as long as you believe that humans have been on the planet. And um, we have no shortage of humans. We, We don't have human extinction or human endangerment, right? Like we were not losing humans. So my point here is that if I wasn't there or if we weren't there in general, the baby would be born eventually. So women have been doing this for, again, however you believe that we've been on the planet. This is a normal physiological process in her life. And every once in a while, we need to manage a particular medical issue. But overall, birth is very normal. And so my goal for them is to always walk away feeling less mysterious and less fearful. The fear comes from the unknown, right? If you ever ask somebody, well, why are you scared of X? The the, the reason is is I'm scared of the unknown, right? Whether it's I don't want to skydive or I don't like swimming. It's it's always, there's always an underlining tone of there's the fear of the unknown, right? Which by the way, I don't love doing either one of those things. Oh, I quite like swimming. <laughs> you can have it. It's not <laughs> It's not my favorite thing. Like swimming in the sea, I quite like. I don't really like swimming in lakes. Lakes and rivers do scare me, so yeah. Okay, yeah. If if I can't see the bottom of something, it tends to really kind of like what is in there. Is it Well, more- there are all those scary monsters in there, clearly. Like <laughs> obviously. Obviously. Yes. Exactly. So, you know, when that's my goal. And I love it because at the end of these, whether it's a conference or it's in, you know, an EMS agency that's hired me to come hang out with them for the weekend and teach them some midwife tips and tricks or whatever it is, I have person after person that walks up and goes, no, no one has ever told me this. Like I've had five children or I've birthed three in the back of an, like no one ever told me X. Like, why aren't we teaching that? And I said, I don't know, but I'm here to do that. So that's kind of my goal is to really just squash once and for all. We have an entire generation of women and men too that have absolutely no idea how their bodies work. Yeah. They have no idea. 
They have no, like I, I got a message several months ago from a woman who in, in Instagram, um, who said, what's the best time of the month to get pregnant? And I knew what she was asking me. The question really was, when, when should I actually be actively working on conception so I can actually conceive a child? Like that was the question, but she didn't know how to one, articulate that. And two was unaware that women can only get pregnant (laughs) during ovulation, which is a 24 hour time period and no other time during a cycle that the calendar months have nothing to do with a cycle. But we have an entire generation of females and men who have absolutely no idea how their body works. And again, that's not their fault, right? That's an education issue. Absolutely. I have this tiny little baby uh, doll and um, and pelvis that I used to carry around to, pretend to um, uh, prenatal sessions. Like right. this thing's tiny. Like it's like I, I used to carry it in my purse. It's like... That's cute. Less than 10 centimeters big. It's very cute. So I one time I was, I was, um, I was like showing it to a, a, a couple and um, the woman said, is that life size? <laughs> no. Like, how, uh, where oh. is the disconnect? And it's sad. It's not her fault. It's no one's yeah. fault except the educators, the, the parents, possibly the educators in the schools, you know. Right. And right. so, of course, I said, well, feel like there's your, you know, there's your hip bones. So that's this in the model. So, and, you know, that feeling that came over her face of just, oh, yeah, right. 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 Oh, my. I'll, I'll, I'll send you the link to the cute little, it's a tiny little bag and it's got a, uh, a baby. Uh, it's placenta, which is attached, attached with a little snap, a little amniotic sac, a uterus and a little pelvis. It's perfect. Okay. I need this. My birthday's coming up. Maybe I just bought myself my own birthday present. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so then, so now I have a, a question that's more about, you know, uh, being a midwife really. And so how do you create that miracle where you can hold the kind of love that the birthing mother and the, and, and possibly her family, if they're there, they, that they need and respond effectively to a potentially dangerous situation. I think those are two very different parts of who I am. Um, Meaning that just like a mother is going to nurture her children and teach them how to tie their shoes and make sure they have a well-balanced meal and, 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 you know, talk them in at night and read them stories and make sure they brush their teeth. And she also can turn into a mama bear should there be any danger, right? Those are two very different parts of who she is. And we don't live and thrive in mama bear mode, right? That's that's an adrenal gland nightmare. But we do live in the nurturing world. So I choose to look at life and look at birth as a way that is normal, right? It's we're in we're in homeostasis. But should there be a warning sign or a situation where there's an issue, um, then then I turn into a completely different aspect of me. And the way I like to explain it to daddies is usually in a very more, a much more logical realm because men don't 
most men don't thrive in that in that kind of nurture nature they kind of are more in the logical part which is why we love them because they think of things that are going to happen five steps ahead of today right and that's yeah. we love that about them and that's what makes them them and that's why we have you know yin and yang and we can come together and become one and that's lovely um but they don't know how to understand what i'm saying so i look at them and i say i am your insurance policy you never want to use me but when you do, I'm always there, right? So if there is a flood in the basement or the house catches on fire, which we don't want to happen, and I will do everything to avoid those things, that's lovely because I'll always be there if you need to cash in on me. And most of the time, partners can look at me and go, oh, that totally makes sense. Yeah, I'm down for that. Let's do that. So I think... To answer your question, short and sweet, is that those are two very different aspects of who I am. So let's say you're in a situation because a lot of the a lot of the um, I've had women come to me for a subsequent birth after a, a birth, even with a midwife where um, something was going mildly or severely wrong. At, OK, let me t- give you two examples. Sure. Two, two, two deaths, two stillborn births that I witnessed. One was in a hospital. One was in a, a birthing center attended by midwives. Okay. And do you know, you would expect it to be the other way around just because of the rhetoric. But the one in the hospital was so gentle and, and just respectful and honoring of that family. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, the one in the, mid- in, the, in the birthing center was not because the midwives were scared and panicking. Uh-huh. And so I think there's a there's a real art to being a mama bear and also being completely nurturing and being able to look that mother in the eyes while something really scary is happening. So I think this is going to complete the one of the original questions that you asked me, which was how does paramedicine and how does midwifery How do those models of care blend together nicely? And this would be probably where I can answer that. As a paramedic and as an EMS professional, I have seen some pretty horrible things um, that I don't choose to really tap into today. But I've seen awful things happen to, to people and, you know, endings of lives and beginnings of others and, grieving individuals. And I think that being able to walk through that with people and remembering what I mentioned earlier, and that is the words that I choose, the actions that I use, the environment that I create is either going to help somebody with the grieving process or stunt them. And uh, like you, I could probably share several stories of, of individuals that have had either miscarriages, uh, fetal demise, stillborns, uh, infant death, where certain situations were able to honor the, the currently living individual while honoring the one that is no longer with us. And other situations, like in this example specifically, you brought up the birth center. <clears throat> I am not directly reflecting that all birth centers are going to handle that situation that way. But Overall, I just think that we're lacking as humans in today's culture and society in understanding what grief is and what it looks like. There's also another whole issue here, and I don't know what it's like in other countries. I can only attest to the to the American culture and, and paradigm, and that is 
most out of hospital midwives function in fear, uh, which is why I tend to kind of gravitate. And if I needed to give myself a label, which I hate labels, um, but if I needed to give myself a label, I would say that I probably at this current place in time where I am today and my beliefs and my experiences is I happen to be more in line with traditional midwifery than I do with CPM modalities or CNM modalities or, uh, you know, the modern medical <laughs> thought process on birth. Um, so unfortunately, the the midwives practicing in the United States are so under the thumb with legislation and certification and licensure and fitting through all these hoops where we start to coin these phrases of high risk and you've been risked out of home birth and you're too risky to do this or you have a BMI of that or you've had a previous C-section or your last baby was big or this baby's breech or you're having twins and start labeling these moms as being broken, busted, a lemon. And I don't truly believe that. I don't truly believe in my heart of hearts that, again, whoever you believe created us and, and I, I, I believe in God. So I believe this, this, is, this is me sharing my personal beliefs with you that I just don't believe that the God that I choose to believe in created this world and created a woman whose entire sole purpose as a body, I did not say her purpose as a human, her purpose as a body is to create, nurture, and bring forth life but can't do it. That doesn't make sense. That that my my ridiculously small human brain cannot understand that. Because I just don't believe that it's real. I don't believe that we're broken. I don't believe that I need to be managed or that I have to be saved or rescued. And I'm seeing more of the midwifery model of care cower and and kneel to the medical modality and we're just seeing problems come from that you know i i could i can't tell you how many times i get messages emails phone calls from women who are just sobbing just crying saying i thought my birth was going to be beautiful i thought having my baby was going to be this magical event where i transitioned from being a child to a woman where i became a mother where I, I grew and and blossomed into the new version of womanhood. And it was awful and it was terrifying and it was scary and it was demeaning. And people were poking at me and prodding at me. And I felt like a cow to slaughter. That's not womanhood. So if we have all of these women that are screaming, I am woman, hear me roar, why are you going to an institution that is just going to abuse you? And this is what's leading to the midwifery model of care cowering down because they're, they're, having, they're having the improper thought process. Their thought process is I should sacrifice one to help more. Their, their thought process is, well, I just don't let this one mom have a out-of-hospital birth so I can go help others, so I can meet a state regulation or legislation, when I don't believe that. 
I don't believe that I should be sacrificing any, that I can help all women in a plethora of different ways, be empowered and have babies exactly the way they want to. And if that means in your front lawn at three o'clock in the morning, then so freaking be it. If that means that you wanna be in your bathtub surrounded by all of your girlfriends and your husband's pacing outside the front door, great, that's wonderful. Um, I don't know what that looks like for you, mommy out there listening, but it it's different for everyone. And you don't need to be rescued and you don't need a midwife or an OB or me for God's sake to even tell you what you can and cannot do when it comes to birthing that baby. Thank you. (laughs) Just thank you. Betsy, that either goes over very well or it's absolutely like a turd in a punch bowl. So I didn't know how that was going to go. So I'm glad you... No, I'm I'm now I'm the one that's gonna cry. Oh I've got tears in my eyes, people, I have to say. Oh boy. Um but actually it led very into my next question, which is I read your article about out of it was in the um uh I guess the EMS uh journal or anyway, the your article about basically a very kind of simple description of uh education um of emts uh you know coming to a a house where there's a where there's a birth happening and what to do and you said that the person should immediately um identify themselves and identify who is the lead midwife so my question is what if the lead midwife is not actually a registered midwife um and is working so-called illegally uh how does how how does that all play out because that is a place where things can get very sticky in a in a birth right so the um ems world magazine which is a medical journal specifically geared towards um pre-hospital providers asked me to write an article about anything i chose in my area of expertise and so i chose um how EMS professionals should engage themselves when coming upon an out-of-hospital birth. So the title of the article was uh, EMS and Midwives, How to Navigate the Out-of-Hospital Transfer. And I did start half, half, about half the article is me expressing to what extent midwifery education is and licensure models in the United States, which because the United States likes to complicate a lot of things. They like to complicate midwifery too. And so there's three different modalities and it's a whole big hot soupy sandwich. But anyway, that for another day. So I tried as clear as mud to explain that portion of it. And then I jumped into, hey, this is how you should transfer. But uh, I didn't really go into uh, what to do if there wasn't a licensed uh, provider or certified or whatever the heck the state wants to call that hubaloo. And I did that for a specific reason because it doesn't actually really freaking matter. It doesn't really freaking matter. And here's why, because the care of the patient actually matters and the care, the continuity of care about the uh, mother and the baby matter. Now your question matters because you're thinking outside the box. And I love that about people. So we'll, we'll address that, but it, it, it doesn't in a, it, the the ultimate like the the foundation of the question 
isn't really going to change anything. I mean, because to be very honest, if I found that mom on the side of the road or if I found her in her bathtub with, you know, her best friend, Susan, taking care of her and, and they're catching a baby, does it actually change the necessity of help? No, right? It doesn't, right? I could find her in a, a back alley somewhere or I could have, or she could be in an austere environment. It doesn't actually matter. The matter... The, the crux of the issue is there's an individual who is requiring medical assistance because whatever was going on isn't going on normal anymore. So now we need to find a solution. And you have to, again, you have only, you only have control over two things, the way you react to something and your choices, right? Like those, that's really the only thing you have a control over. So I can enter this situation and I can be a jerk and I can be someone who is going to take charge and mull over people, or I can choose to work well and nicely and play nice with others and work together as a team. This is not a strange concept to EMS per personnel in general, because we have to work nicely and play well with nurses, doctors, home health nurses, family members, police officers, firefighters, and the mall cop. Mm. So, we should not be struggling with this in this arena either. The reason I came up with that um, really fun little mnemonic that I came up with was all about uh, trying to make sure that we knew that we needed to identify who, who the leads are and that the EMS professional has scopes of practice that a, a, a licensed or certified midwife will not have in the United States. And the midwife has a scope of practice and protocols that the EMS provider won't. So rather than sit there and fight about who's in charge, why not work together? And as a midwife, I've had to call 911 a few times and I've had really good transfers that I was like, wow, that EMS professional was like super amazing. And I've had other situations where I've literally kicked two EMS professionals out of the home and I had to recall 911. So I know what it's like to be on the midwife side of things, but I also understand what it's like to be a paramedic and walk into a nightmare. Mm. I've been a paramedic where I've walked into situations and I've had to pick up puzzle pieces and try to put things together, not necessarily only from a home birth perspective, but maybe from a child that's been, you know, abused or a, a patient that's bed bound and their vent isn't working. So I know what it's like to, to enter a situation. And again, if you notice, it's the fear of it's, it's unknown. It's the, it's the fear of the unknown. That's the ultimate problem there is you don't know what's on the other side of the door. And I'm trying to break that bar barrier down with EMS professionals because we never know what's on the other side of the door. So why does it matter for this? Why is all of a sudden this more scary? Why is birth more scary? Because you don't know what's on the other side of the door. Well, you don't know what's on the other side of the door for the chest pain patient or the car accident or the asthmatic issue or the allergic reaction like you never know what's on the other side of the door so why is this more scary and when I finally when they finally get to realize that and understand that they go oh yeah that's true yeah so if I can provide them with tools to put in their toolbox you feel better right like if if you don't know what to expect tomorrow but you're adequately prepared for tomorrow right? You've done your homework, you, you packed your backpack, you're ready to go out the door. Like 
you feel better about life. Life can toss you anything and you're like, I got this. I'm going to crush it. I'm going to throw punch it. It's going to be awesome, right? You feel better about that. And so that's kind of what I'm trying to do, whether again, whether it's uh, speaking at a conference or writing an article in a medical journal or whatever. Well, I think one place where the fear comes in is um, I've worked with families who were afraid to call the emergency services because they were worried their children were going to get taken away from them or, or, you know, that fear of the unknown, like, oh, my God, what if I call the ambulance and, you know, everyone lines up out the door to take my other kids away? Well, unfortunately, we're living in a world and I, I, I mean, I don't, you know, again, I mean, Canada's struggling with this. The United States is struggling. I mean, that's just an overreach of government. And I just, I don't know that this podcast can handle my, my take on that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what your listeners want to hear, but you know, the you last- know what? They can they can hear whatever. I'm I could go on for another few hours with you. This is fascinating. So go for it. The the last thing this world needs is more government. So uh people have a right to parent however the heck they want to parent. And if we start regulating parenting, what other freedom are we gonna lose? That's ridiculous. And it's it's sad. It's very it's very real. It's very real. People who have had home births, people who have chosen to do, uh, you know, homeopathy or natural remedies for their children for things like ear infections or strep throat or cancers or whatever. Yes, that's a real thing. That's a really real fear. But you know what's going to squash all that? Us actually rallying together and stop cowarding to government agencies and services and letting them tell us what we can and can't do. If you want freedom, then freaking demand it. And the fact is, just uh, letting you all know here in Quebec that it's totally legal to have an unassisted childbirth if you want to just have your baby without a medical professional present. You are totally, that is totally within your rights. So it's totally within your rights in the United States as well. However, have Child Protective Services or Department of Health and Human Services been activated and called because of those things? Yes, absolutely. And once you get into that system, it's you're, you're not getting out. So yes, is it a real fear? Absolutely. And I I do understand that, and I I I have very strong opinions on that. But again, you know what happens to be said on the internet is forever. So I'm just going to be quiet. I uh, I appreciate you and I'm with you. <laughs> so um, so we're talking about trauma here, and I've seen. Uh, I worked as a hospital doula for uh, for way too long. I I <laughs> I'm giving you a hug again. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I I I really did have a lot of trauma coming out of that, and I actually just opened a cafe to serve soup to people and provide a space for mums to meet. Um, while they could eat healthy food and breastfeed their babies. And I did that for three years because I was so burnt out and traumatized from attending hospital births as a doula. So I see that a lot of trauma is actually being created out of nothing. Right now, there's a big uh, trauma that's being created because the hospitals are not allowing allowing doulas into birth rooms with the birthing woman and her partner. Um, Just recently, I saw another specific trauma where there was something done to a woman that didn't need to be done and it created a whole big, big, uh, iatrogenic mess. Um, 
So how do you teach your medic students to identify a real emergency as opposed to those things that can be watched and probably will, will disappear? Um, I tell them to listen to me and not the textbook. Um, <laughs> Uh, I think it really depends on like what group of individuals I'm teaching, uh, what level of education they're at. That plays a pretty big role in it too. Like, obviously I teach initial entry and like they haven't sat for their boards yet type of students very, very differently than I teach a group of individuals who are about to work out of their backpack for the next year. And they're going to be in some place that I can't say out loud. You know what I mean? Like those are very different. Those are, you're going to get a completely different set of tools from me in those situations. Obviously um, that's very different, but I, I think it's, it's foundationally starting from the very beginning and, and just going over simple things like talking about menstrual cycles and what is actually normal versus what is actually abnormal. I I think it's really starting from the beginning and having a good foundation of anatomy and physiology. Once we kind of understand that, then when I say, hey, remember, we don't actually have to cut the cord right away. Why? They're already answering those questions. So I don't have to teach them that, right? Because they already know that there's things that have to transition and the baby needs to have the ductus arteriosus and the foramen ovale close. And there actually needs to be this transition and the inner thoracic pressure has to change and the change in the temperature and the roof of the mouth. They already, they already know the answers to this because I already set the foundation. So I spend a lot of time talking about anatomy and physiology and what that actually looks like. And once they have a great foundation of that, then I can add things like, okay, so physiologically explain to me what a shoulder dystocia is. And then I want you to tell me what you think the treatment plan would be just based off of what you already know. And it's amazing because then they're thinking outside the box. They're tapping into their instinctual thought process. So I have full grown men who are wearing nothing but, you know, camouflaged polka dotted uniforms with beards. And I don't really know their very, their real first names because I can't. And I'm helping them learn things that you would in normal circumstances not really hear from that that, um, type of individual, right? Like (laughs) you wouldn't necessarily think that they would be like, well, we would probably do things like, hey, you know, stand them up, do this, turn them around, uh, get them in a squat position or whatever. That's great. I, I, I love it. I just had that vision in my mind of these guys and they're out, they're out of some movie and there you are. I, I, I noticed that you said on one of your things that you're five foot uh, four with a 6.2, six foot two attitude, which that's what I love. So I I see that. I see that with, uh, with these, uh, with these students that you're talking about. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So what uh, what kind of advice would you personally give a woman who's decided to give a, uh, birth at home, um, just surrounded by friends and family? Um, to select the individuals you let into your circle very carefully. Um, just because she's your sister or just because she's your mom doesn't necessarily mean that they're always going to put your best interest at heart. And first, 
um, a lot of times, you know, <laughs> I hear women start to make decisions in labor based on trying to make other people happy. And that's because we are biologically wired that way. We are biologically wired in a way to create relationships and cultivate community, right? That's what, that's basically the essence of, of womanhood. Uh, hence why we're so good at, at birthing babies and nurturing them and breastfeeding them is because we are creating bonding and relationships and that's lovely. It can also be detrimental to us. And so when we have women who are trying to bring forth life, which is a very, very vulnerable position to be in, you need to have people that are in your corner that are willing to fight to the death, right? I love to see uh, pictures of like battles in my brain when I'm trying to explain this to women. When you are any, any man who, or any woman for that matter, who's been in the armed services can very, very easily resonate with this. If you're going to go into a really sticky situation where the likelihood of you coming back is slim to none, you want people to your right and to your left that no matter what, they will fight for you, right? And that's who you, because, and I hate to use the battle imagery with birth because it really shouldn't be a battle. But unfortunately, modern day society is putting us in a situation where we are constantly have to, having to fight for our rights. Uh, this is why I mentioned why women, if you're saying that you are strong and independent and you can do things on your own, why are you going back to institutions that are abusing you? Why are you lining up like cattle and going to slaughter, going back to institutions that are built and structured on, on marginalizing you and monetizing you? So don't, don't think that instantaneously staying home is going to instantaneously get rid of all of your problems. Cause there are plenty of women who are like, I'm going to do a home birth. I'm going to do a home birth. And the whole time the husband is like, well, as soon as you can't, you know, fight for yourself anymore, as soon as you, as soon as one little thing happens and one little thing changes, I'm just going to scoop you up and put you in the car. We need to tap into those situations and really find out what the what the issue is what the underlining issue is right because we have to also understand that men are biologically wired a specific way and that is to provide and protect and for the first time ever in the history of him being a man he cannot provide nor protect for his woman or at least he thinks he can't in birth oh he can't he can damn well throw a mother-in-law out the window if she oversteps her boundaries. He darn well can make sure that a midwife is in check if she is not obeying or abiding by the rules of the home and what is appropriate in that realm, right? Like there are things that he can do as a provider to, to, to provide and protect her. He just doesn't know what they are. And so any good midwife would definitely tap into what biologically makes that man tick and help create an environment that is safe and honorable. So I think for the first thing is actually having communication, like actually having those pillow conversations with your partner and also having those hard conversations with individuals, right? Uh, of who actually need to 
then you need to actually lay the law down. Like if you, if this is going to be too hard for you, if it's going to be too hard for you to hear me scream and cry and throw things and um, be working really hard, if it's going to be too hard for you, then you are more than welcome to come as soon as the baby is born, but you are not allowed to be here for labor. I need people in my corner that are going to fight for me. I need people that are going to hold me up when I can't squat anymore. You know, I need people that are going to make a meal, clean a toilet, change out the water in my birth tub. It's not about you. It's about the mom and it's about that baby at that moment. So, you know, this kind of comes down to a leadership role and the true definition of leadership is selfless service, sacrificing your own needs and desires for those of the team. And, and that that is where I would say you have to start off first. Cause if you don't have a good team, I don't care where the heck you give birth. I don't care if it's with dolphins in the ocean for crime and sake, it's not going to end well because no one's going to be supporting you on that. Yeah, that's, that's really solid advice. Really solid. Yeah. I'm getting so many calls from from uh, women who are planning exactly that. And so I think that one of our responsibilities, those of us who are working with uh, with those women making those choices is to is to give some of that advice, you know, make sure that you have the right uh, the right team. Right. So is there anything else you want to add? Oh my goodness. I mean, we really could talk for a lot longer. I know we could. We've uh we've already been doing this for a while. Uh, I don't know. I don't think I really have anything to add. I think that uh knowledge is really is really powerful and I think that um if we all kind of come together and share share knowledge with each other, which is what I really like to do on on my platform. So I I host Midwife Monday every Monday and I take suggestions from my followers or I pick topics that I'm really passionate about. Like this last Monday, I talked about um, attachment parenting and gentle parenting. And so I spent some time talking about that. It's something that I'm very passionate about and have been for well over a decade at this point. And um, I shared some thought processes on that. And so that's what we do on, on Mondays on Instagram and I, I sometimes I, I steal really great topics from other ladies and other birth professionals that I really enjoy and love. And I feel like their words were better than I could ever say something. So I, sh- I sometimes I pass that on. Um, but I think that knowledge about this topic and so many others really needs to be out there for the general public that I do truly believe we have an entire generation that have absolutely no idea how their bodies work in general, let alone how babies are conceived or how to prevent a conception for that matter. So uh, sharing that knowledge is so important. And that's, that's really what I'm working on. I'm trying to do. I love being a teacher. I love being an educator. And I'm also very uh, um, humble at the fact that I don't know everything. And sometimes I'm still learning things as well. So I love being able to chat with people like you to be able to kind of share that knowledge amongst the two of us. And really, like I said, um, kind of, kind of create that, that new version of a tribe. So thank you so much for having me. I have one final question that I ask everyone on my podcast. If you had only one word to spread amongst our listeners, what would that one word be? 
patience. Oh, thank you. Everyone has a different word. It's so beautiful. I think that I would like to see a little bit more patience in the world. Um, I think that I would like to see people understand that everybody is coming from a different version of reality that we're all looking through a different set of lenses regarding the same picture in front of them. I don't know. I, I do you like to go to like, um, uh, I, I, one of the, one of my favorite things about traveling is that when I travel to different places, I love to go see the local sites, but I love to go to museums. They're probably one of my most favorite things to do. And I like it because I don't actually need to go with another person. And I don't actually love to go with other people all of the time because I like it to be quiet and I like to soak in whatever item I happen to be looking at. And when I look at different paintings, I know that I might feel a set of emotions that isn't necessarily the same set of emotions that you might feel. I've looked at paintings before and saw, you know, anger or despair while someone else might see um, a free spirit and, uh, you know, a complete, a completely set different set of emotions. And I think that if we could all just give each other a little bit more patience, whether that's, you know, the middle child at home that's driving you crazy, uh, your partner, a work colleague, um, you know, a, a patient that maybe you're taking care of as a doula or as a midwife or uh, an EMS that, that reoccurring three o'clock, you know, 3 a.m. call that always comes from that same address. It doesn't really matter. Like just granting someone a little bit more patience and grace would be, I, I think, would make this world spin a little bit smoother. Well, thank you for that. And thank you for your courage and, and your grace and your knowledge. Um, thank you for your words. And thank you for being on the show. It was really wonderful. Uh, it was an absolute blessing. I get so excited to do podcasts, but you asked me some very challenging questions today. And I wanted to say thank you for challenging me because I love that. <laughs> Well, I hope I didn't push you too hard, but uh, no, I like, I love thinking outside the box. So I do truly appreciate that. Thank you. 